Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Put this one in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Yesterday, we had this bizarro session where everything went up, both the Biden stocks and the Trump stocks. Obviously, that was unsustainable. We knew one of these guys had to lose. But today, we learned that nearly everyone loses when the president acts the stimulus negotiations until after the election, slamming the averages. Dow sinking 376 points, S&P losing 1.40%, NASDAQ falling 1.57%. The house of pain. It's a crushing disappointment for anyone who's lost their job or might be on the verge of losing their job because small businesses are running out of money. And not just small businesses, frankly. The airlines felt like expired milk without bailout. And you got to wonder what will happen to the 14 million odd people and their families who work in the hospitality industry that is just, let's just say, inhospitable. Plus, there were plenty of investors hoping to surf the wave of new money from Washington. I don't worry about them. I don't care about them. The market thrives in liquidity. President just pulled the plug on an ocean of cash. Again, I don't care about them. I care about the small and medium-sized businesses and the workers that are now going to be laid off. Speaker Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin seem like they're making a lot of progress, right? Getting a lot of phone calls, getting closer to a deal. At least until President Trump arrived back in the White House from Walter Reed Medical Center. Earlier today, Fed Chief Jay Powell, a reasonable man, practically begged elected leaders for more stimulus, something that Speaker Pelosi echoed soon after the president stopped the negotiations. But it was too late, as Trump tweeted, that he was adamant he could put through a better bill after the election when he presumes he will have a stronger hand. So what's really going on here? I mean, that's the rhetoric. We all heard the rhetoric, right? I mean, it's like the political stuff. I think the president's taking a calculated risk, betting the economy is actually stronger than most of us believe. He thinks we've got a V-shaped recovery, and he touts it every chance he gets, including a couple of tweets today. Now, that's a view that is actually shared by many Republicans in the Senate. That's why I told you the Senate was never on board. If you can't come up with a compromise four weeks before people go to the polls, I don't know if it'll be easier to do a month from now, but let's assume that's a real possibility. Can small business owners actually hold on until after the election? Can the airlines make it despite their cascading losses? How about the hotels that are in a or the renters who can't afford to pay their landlords, who can't afford to pay the banks, or the state governments that are bleeding from their eyeballs because of the pandemic. Personally, I think a good stimulus bill today is better than a great stimulus bill a month from now. Uh, although I say this as someone who just had to close my restaurant because it's impossible to make money in this environment. So what's the point? So why is the president much less worried than the chairman of the Federal Reserve? Well, the president's aides are conscious that many areas of the economy are red hot right now. And they'll stay hot regardless of what the government does. Plus, don't forget, the parts of the economy that need help are small businesses, and they don't trade publicly, so their weakness rarely filters through to the stock market, which is why the president could tout in his tweets that we're at record highs, although we are a little off, particularly after today. 
Now, how about the parts of the economy that are en fuego? Well, these are the ones that the president's right. They don't need help. First housing, as long as we have to live with the pandemic, there's going to be an exodus of people moving from the cities to the suburbs. And those people need homes. As uh, Diana Oaks said today, the market is red hot. It doesn't hurt that mortgage rates are very low. If you still have your job and you can work from home, you can buy a nice place in the suburbs and fill it with great furniture and appliances and outdoor heaters and fire pits so you don't give each other something that now is being considered like a bad flu because let's say Captain Trips is a bad flu. Uh, But you're going to be uh, stuck all day there. So why not, uh, regardless of the cold, build out something outside your house? That's what a lot of people are doing. Now, I like the housing and housing related stocks here, especially the stocks of companies that sell their merchandise at Lowe's, at Home Depot, the only thing that can stop the housing bull market and uptick in interest rates or major downtick in employment. But for the moment, neither of those seem likely. I'm going to stress once again so people understand that there's something in here, you know, besides an undershirt. Like if you had like a heart, you would know that you only get to take advantage of the housing bull market if you have a job. And if you don't, you can't get the loan. So I'm conscious of that. Okay, I'm not like, wow, what a Bozo, heartless guy, creamers. Second, and I lived in my car. Believe me, I didn't. I would have loved the loan. Second, Home Depot, Lowe's, they benefit from the collapse of the stimulus talks because they benefit because their smaller independent comp- competitors are unlikely to survive without a bail. So they're, not, they're now donors. See, these guys, these guys take advantage because they get they're donating. These other smaller guys who needed the stimulus are donating business to them. Same goes for Target, Walmart, Costco. You can't get stronger than these guys now that so much of the competition will fold. The death of mom-and-pop retailers may be bad for the country, but it's phenomenal for these stocks. Just like we said technology advanced like 10 years because of this. Well, you know what? The collapse of the small business advanced like 10 years. I say with a smirk. Also, a huge win for the dollar stores because no stimulus means more people have to trade down to the cheapest stores to make ends meet. Those are the ones that don't have the jobs. Third is autos. Just like housing, this is all about the excess of the suburbs. Did you see Group 1 Automotive today? I did. That stock worked 16%. Sales were so strong. Like, uh, just like Carvana, just like AutoNation, Lithium Motors, CarMax. These mostly used car retailers are exactly what you need if you move away from the city and you're afraid to carpool or take the dreaded mass transit. You want to stretch the field? Buy some Ford, which is the beginning of a nascent turnaround. Fourth, vast swaths of the stay-at-home economy are still working. If you have enough money, guess what? Well, you're back on your Peloton exercise machine. That's the lines for that one. Um, uh, you are, you're worried about COVID, and most people still are, by the way. Then you're using the Internet for most of your shopping. So I think today's pullback gives you a terrific opportunity to buy the stock of Amazon right ahead of Amazon Prime Day next week. Yeah, I mean, the stock got clubbed today. There's a reason both FedEx and United Parcel held up just today. Parcels are an unstoppable force in the era of a really heavy flu. At least if you have Regeneron's custom cocktail and not a margarita or a vodka martini. Those are three. Name me three cocktails of which one helps you. Oh, and don't forget the restaurant chains that have pivoted to takeout and delivery like Yum Brands, Dart and Chipotle. They kill it with no stimulus to keep smaller restaurants afloat. These chains will be the last man standing in the industry. Not great for my diet, but very good for their stocks. All that said, I don't want to be too glib here. We could really use that stimulus package. Without one, numbers will have to come down for a whole host of companies, but not technology. 
not technology, because most tech supports the enterprise, not the consumer. And the enterprise, as I've said, is doing quite well. You can watch those sink a bit, the tech stocks, and then pick up some weakness, because what happens is they go down, tomorrow everybody's scared to buy them, and by 3 o'clock tomorrow they'll be okay, and start picking, and then the next day they're fine. Some people argue that the lack of stimulus means we're headed for a recession. I don't think that's true as long as we get some kind of bailout by the end of the year. But if you think we are headed for a recession, I'll give you another menu. It's straightforward. You buy PepsiCo, ConAgra, just pork great quarter. We had them on TV, remember? Uh, Cable Soup, it's too cheap to know. We had them on too. Bristol Myers, we had them on just the other day. It's pretty good. It was yesterday. J&J, the aforementioned Regeneron, uh, when it comes to the compelling recession-resistant or recession-proof stocks. You know, don't outthink it. There they are. We're living in a tale of two cities economy. The part that's hurting doesn't really matter to the stock market. The part that's working is mostly publicly traded companies. We have a V-shaped recovery in those companies, V-shaped recovery in housing, U-shaped recovery in autos. Some of the largest retailers never even experienced a downturn. Think Walmart, Amazon, Costco, Target, Home Depot, and Lowe's. No downturn. In fact, they have enjoyed an essential upturn replete with earnings that handily beat the estimates because they were essential. And all the little guys, not essential. All these work, regardless of what happens in Washington. Same goes for Kramer COVID-19 remote work stocks. They all did well today. Uh, And the food and drug plays that I mentioned because the pandemic's flaring up again. The president may have ripped his mask off yesterday, but most of us will be uh, putting them on extra tight this fall. The bottom line, when it comes to the rest of the economy, what can I say? You can't buy stocks in small, medium-sized businesses that are about to go under here. That pain is real, even if it's not reflected by the stock market, because you can't invest in your local convenience store or your watering hole or a clothing shop or workout studio or optician or brasserie or diner or anything else that really needed the relief, because that's no longer in the cards. Let's go to Denise in Minnesota. Denise. Jimmy Joe. I'd be chilling. Hey, this retailer is entering its busy season. It reported earnings beat of 38 cents. Same store sales up 12%. E-commerce sales up 350%. But these numbers seem to get lost in the September sell-off. And meanwhile, BBBY has become a Wall Street darling. What do you think of Michael's M-I-K? Um, it's not, it doesn't have scale. It's not big enough for me to be able to say that it can make it when I've got stocks like Bed Bath & Beyond or, or, uh, or Best Buy, or then you really want to go into it. I mean, come on, Costco, Target. Targets can, Target can wipe them out if it shows to give that stuff away. And they can do that. Let's go to Shalom in California. Shalom. Hey, Jim. Shalom and Shana Tova from Pasadena. Shana Tova, my friend. What's going on? Yeah, I would like to uh, know what you think about NextEra Energy. Uh, you did recommend them, I believe, last year on your show. Yep. And now they're going a four-for-one split at the end of the month. So what's your take? Shalom, this is such a great story. It's the best growth stock utility I have ever seen in my career. And I suggest that you continue to buy it. It's remarkable. Just a remarkable company. How about Lendon in New York? Lendon. Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Hey, man, the chill was on fire this morning, letting some people have it. You know, sometimes it's just for fun. Anyway, early in 2018, you recommended Novacure, which is trading at about 18. I bought and sold it a number of times, and I'm now playing with the house's money. But in the last two months, the stock has gone from 60 to 121 yeah. today. And the only news I saw was Northern Capital Markets initiated coverage with a $200 price target. 
What gives? It works. That's what gives. It works. Just like I recommended it was an 18. What happened? A, a friend of mine passed away. He was supposed to, um, they told him he was going to die in a couple of months. And he used Novacure and he got three extra years of life. And all the machines have done in the interim is get better and better. But Wall Street's too cynical to realize that this company is the real deal. They've missed out on 100 points. You didn't. I like that. Right? Everyone loses when the stimulus negotiations are delayed. But I don't want you to overthink it. I got some winners here. Every one of these companies can actually do well in this newfound no-stimulus environment. Remember, we're living in a tale of two economies. There's the V of the public and the bad of the private. I'll make money today. What could high unemployment mean for paychecks? I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to find out. Then after the close last night, Generac got into M&A action, renouncing its next major move to pivot to green energy. I'm talking to the CEO. And with the U.S. presidential election just 28 days away, I'm talking to a CEO working to protect the integrity of the results. Don't miss my sit down with red hot cloud flare. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. I keep telling you that the weak point in this economy is small, medium-sized business. Big businesses can generally cope with COVID, but smaller operators, well, they're struggling. We need to know how they're holding up, which brings me to paychecks. It's the payroll processes or human resources outsource. We're mostly focused on small to medium-sized enterprises. This morning, paychecks reported a solid top and bottom line B, with management raising their full-year forecast in absolute terms. Well, but, you know, they are having a rough time. Revenue down 6%, earnings down double digits. But the numbers came in well ahead of Wall Street's expectations, which is, you know, what we care about. Still, the stock got dinged, falling 2.5%, even after bullish comscore. Keep in mind, though, the last time paychecks reported, they delivered good numbers, yet the stock initially got slammed before making a comeback over the following weeks. It's now up more than 10% since we last spoke to management in mid-July, even though there's some analysts who've been downgrading it since. Could that pattern repeat itself? Let's check in with Marty Musi, the president and CEO of Paychex, get a better sense of the quarter and what he's seeing from small business. Mr. Musi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Okay, so Marty, I got a thesis that I, I got to give you, because one, in the conference call, you said, listen, we don't expect stimulus. You just said it. If you've been lucky, if you got it. But two, you've done a number of things in the last two years that makes it so that we shouldn't really link you as much, I think, to small, medium-sized business. I think we should link you to technology. I think you should lead you to uh, difficult legislation that you need to be able to get through, like PPP, uh, link you to mobile platform, and that these things have changed uh, human resources, have really changed the way we should think of paychecks. You're not an employment indicator. You're a company that's taking control of its own destiny. Well, I agree with that, Jim. Of course, we've talked about it. The technology investments that we've made have really positioned us 
to be a tech leader, an innovator. And you're seeing that in the in the response to COVID over the last two quarters. We're very proud of the fact that we were introduced. We introduced the first payroll report. It's been accessed over 500,000 times from our clients. You know, we've introduced the first forgiveness estimator for the loans. And that now, Walters Kluwer has now accepted that to help their clients. We're very proud of the innovations that we've put out and still offer the personalized service as well if you need it. Well, you know, I also thought, I mean, before we all panic about the, the federal government not doing stimulus, there are some states that are doing quite well. You talk about how, frankly, the Florida. Now, Florida opened up entirely. We know that. I don't know how that's necessarily going to pan out. But right now, uh, if you keep your economy open, it seems that your state can make a lot of money. Florida has been solid on job you know, growth, the best numbers. They're still down from last year, but the South and Florida in particular has continued to be strong. It has the highest index in our small business index that we report monthly. Construction is really giving that strength, residential and commercial. There, You know there's a real uh, exodus toward Florida and toward the South, and it's helping a lot with construction. Well, now, if we have a good housing market, and we actually, frankly, have an excellent auto market, but it's mostly used because people have been moving out of the office in the city to the suburbs. I mean, could I make a case that there is a V recovery in some of the economy so that the lack of stimulus may be actually uh, OK? Well, I think so. Look, stimulus is certainly would help small businesses and medium sized businesses, you know, about 80 percent are getting to the end of their first loans, and they're looking for more flexibility and more loans to help them out. About 40% were looking for an additional stimulus. I think we're going to get that. Unfortunately, now it looks like more like November. But even without that, uh, we've seen a number of businesses come back that we had seen suspended. Right. And now about two-thirds to three-quarters of those are back processing payroll. And even for a few less employees, but I think that's going to continue to build. But, Marty, you did say in the conference call that you think that the uh, recovery, jobs recovery from here will be slower than it's been the last three, four months. So that's not yeah, necessarily I think good it's, news. Uh, yeah. Right? Well, that's true. But I think it's progressive. I think it's continuing to happen. We've seen, you know, we saw a great bounce back in, the, in May and June, and then it began to slow down. But it is still coming back. And we're seeing more small businesses in particular Ad employees, Jim, and as you know, we've also seen new business starts up 20% over last year. And we are selling a lot to a lot of businesses that are outsourcing for payroll and HR for the first time ever. Let's talk about the coloration of the new businesses. What kind are they and where are they geographically? Yeah, we're seeing them, you know, spread pretty widely geographically, uh, mostly in the south uh, and west. But it is spread out quite a bit. And it's really all different sectors of business. You know, leisure and hospitality got hit the worst. Right. But you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing small businesses reinvent themselves. You've talked about it a number of times and, and finding new ways to take uh, opportunities in a COVID environment and a remote workforce environment and really turn them into something. So, you know, we've seen the best payroll sales unit growth in over five years in this quarter because of so many businesses outsourcing payroll and so many new businesses. That's incredible. I mean, because I was more worried about temporary layoffs becoming permanent layoffs. Maybe I don't want, you know, I don't want to say the glass is half empty. I feel like I should be talking about the glass half full when I speak to you. 
Well, I think so. You know, uh, certainly, you know, a lot of our financial indicators are down versus last year. But as you started the call, you know, we've really seen much better recovery in our first fiscal quarter ending in August than we expected. And we see that we expect that to continue through the second quarter and on. Uh, you know, it's hard to predict our fourth quarter into past spring of next year. But right now we're seeing a much better recovery. I think it's the technology investment that we've made, a lot of self-service. We have products that are perfectly positioned for remote workforces and those coming back to the office, like iris scan time clocks I mentioned on the call this morning. You know, here's something you can wear a mask. You can still punch in and punch out if you're coming back to the office. If you're staying remote, you can punch in and punch out on your watch or on your phone. Now, uh, one last thing, you do have some upcoming product launches that I think are being overlooked by uh, people who are selling. And these are things that are going to be happening within the next three to six months that could matter, right? Yeah, yeah it does. I think, you know, we continue to build out our, uh, our self-service where you can sign on in really in a paperless environment. Everything is paperless from hiring someone to onboarding them into your payroll and HR to handling everything. Is Electronic signature can be paperless and remote. Uh, you'll now be able to, frankly, as an employee, ask your phone, ask Google or Siri, you know, when was my paycheck? What did I get in my, what did I get paid? You know, a lot of new investments and innovation coming that I think will really position us, positions us well in this environment and for the future growth at paychecks. And I think, look, you were right about when I, we always talk about the reinvention. The reinvention is is spot is uh, is Shopify. The reinvention are the people who work yeah. at home and then they add two or three employees. Yeah. And the reinvention are people who know, know Siri and more important, know how to ask Alexa a question. Unlike us, who are like thinking, right. wow, that's kind of cool. That's their lives. <laughs> right. It that's is. And re- it is. It, it is their lives. And uh, the innovation is what has helped us, our past investments, to do so well and recover in this environment. And I think it positions us very well for the future as well. All this right. is the future. It's here a lot faster. Thank you, Marty. Again, all I can read is the paychecks. Every time we've said this, every time it goes down like this, you have to buy the stock. I reiterate, that's the right thing to do. Marty Mises, president and CEO of Paychecks. This is a company that has worked for mad money since we started the show. We're back at this break. All right. Now, we're more than nine months into an increasingly, frankly, apocalyptic year. I don't want to scare you, but pandemic sweeping the nation, wildfires burning down the West Coast, hurricanes slamming the southeast. You can't make this stuff up. And you know what works when the world is, well, kind of figuratively falling apart? Generac works. GNRC, the energy equipment maker best known for their in-home power generators. If you're worried the grid's going to go down as I am, you want a Generac which is why the stock's giving a magnificent 78% gain since we last spoke to the CEO in March. But there's another angle, too. Over the past year, Generac's made a series of acquisitions in the clean energy storage space, and storage is essential for renewables. Last night, Generac pivoted again with the news that they're buying Enbala. That's a power networks technology company that handles distributed energy resources. Don't worry, we're going to explain that to you. Platform lets utilities tap all sorts of residential and industrial power generation assets to relieve stress on the grid. This is a huge move, people. So let's take a closer look with Aaron Yogfeld. He's the chairman and CEO of Generac Holdings. We'll learn more about the Enbala deal and what it means for his business. Mr. Yogfeld, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good to be here. Okay, so, Aaron, it's really happening. I'm going to be able to have solar power come into my house, and I'm going to be able to make money selling it back because of Enbala. Absolutely. I mean, Enbala is going to enable the 
decentralization of the grid. We've been talking about this now for the last couple of years that the nation's electrical grid is changing. Um, we're going from this centralized legacy model with wires and, and power plants uh, to a much more decentralized digital type of network. It's going to be obviously a lot less carbon intense uh, and Imbala is going to enable uh, that to happen. It's a big part of the grid transition that's going to be going, taking place. Okay, so I, I, I buy Genrac, I get the Imbala system, and my power company says, hey, no can do. We're not buying any of your power. What happens? Well, so what Imbala does is you have your solar system already in, in place, or maybe you buy one of our generators, or maybe you have one of our storage systems, our, our power cell uh, energy storage devices. And what Imbala does is it's a software platform. So it's really a, a uh, software as a service. It's cloud-based. And what Imbala does is it enrolls those assets, those they call them DERs, distributed energy resources, into their platform. And that platform then can aggregate those disparate assets into a virtual power plant configuration. And that virtual power plant can be then used by the local utility or the grid operator. And that's where how you get compensated as an, as an owner-operator of the equipment by allowing the power company, allowing the utility or the grid operator to tap that resource that otherwise, you know, that generator would be sitting there really not being used too often. It's pretty infrequent use type assets. So this allows those assets to be used more frequently uh, for the benefit of balancing out the grid for all kinds of different disruptions that can occur. I, I don't typically mention advertising because it's not uh, what we're, you know, it happens and we're not supposed to watch it. I, I admit it was mentioned in the call, so I think it's fair game. Your commercials, uh, that my wife was attracted to, actually kind of talk about the notion of, of return on investment. Most people don't have commercials about that. In English, you do it. So it must be, I mean, I think that you guys are kind of flooding the zone. I don't know any of you, you're building a moat with these ads. We are, yeah. I mean, the advertising that we do, and we've done them on our legacy products, our residential standby products, for a long time. And, and really, those original advertisements we were doing was all about peace of mind. I mean, if you buy a generator, you're really buying an insurance policy protecting your home, protecting your family. It's great when you've got that product and you get a you get an outage with a hurricane or wildfires or storms, whatever causes that. If you have one of our products, uh, it's fantastic. You're protected. All the food in your refrigerator, the lights are on, the air conditioning's on, the heating's on. Whatever you need, you've got it. You're protected. But it's never really been an ROI type product. This is the beauty of Imbala. What Imbala does is it basically extends the value proposition of the, those legacy products. Now I can turn that message around and I can tell you that not only can you get peace of mind from that product, but you can also use it to recoup some of the cost of the product and save on your energy costs. And it's, it turns it exactly what you're saying. It turns it into an ROI type of uh, approach, which is just fantastic. Now, if I'm in California and uh, they, they are doing, they're dimming the lights, so to speak, like we expected in a lesser developed country, frankly, um, they must welcome uh, if a, a natural gas-based generac that is actually able to give them power when they don't have power? Absolutely. I mean, California is, as you can imagine, everything that's going on out there, aside from the wildfires, what you saw this past summer was the effect of, uh, you know, the renewable push that's going on with the grid, right? So we're changing the grid. We're going to make it less carbon intensive, which is great. But the concentration of renewables, renewables are intermittent. They're variable. And they're, they're great power sources and they're fantastic. But there are days when the the... The wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining. When that happens, by having these other decentralized assets be capable of being called upon by the local utility to help supplement their, you know, their wind and their solar power when that starts to die off is a fantastic thing for them because what you saw out there this summer, they had the heat waves, 
you saw it get dark. Obviously, when, when the sun goes down, they ran into a serious issue in terms of supply versus demand. And so if they had had an Imbala Networks type of approach, what they could do is they could take all of those disparate assets, those DERs as we refer to them, and they could aggregate them and put them into the grid. And that helps stabilize things so that we don't have to shut off large portions of, of power to homes and to businesses. I don't know if people realize how big this acquisition really is. This is incredibly important because it's not cheap to buy a generator. It's certainly worthwhile, particularly because what can go wrong. But this is a major transformation for your company. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge deal. This is a startup company. You know, they're located in Denver. It's about 50 people, so it's not a massive company by any stretch of the imagination. But the technology is fantastic. The team that we're acquiring is fantastic. And it's really transformative for us. Strategically, it's critical for us because, as you say, I mean, it, it really takes us from being a hardware manufacturer. And that's what we've been right. for our entire 60-plus year history and turns us into a services and solutions type company. And that is a, that's a major shift for us as a, as a player in this. And again, as the grid changes, as grid 2.0 develops, uh, we want to be there at the forefront of that. And we want to be leaning into that as a company and being able to participate in that change as it comes. Have you been able to uh, deal with uh, what are the manufacturing costs now for your machines? I know that there's a supply. You're trying to change things around the right way. We are. Yeah. I mean, right, right now we can't make enough machines. I mean, it, it is a, the demand is, is incredible uh, for our products right now. And of course, again, by, by creating a situation where those generators, which, you know, are not, they're not, you know, cheap products. I mean, right. these are expensive products. They're, they're home improvement projects on your home, they're permanently installed. They run off of the home's fuel supply. They start up when the, when the utility fails. They, they turn back off when the utility returns. And so they're somewhat expensive. And there's, you know, there's, there's a permits involved and contractors involved and all kinds of uh, different things. As I said before, they're great when you have one, but it's always been about peace of mind. And right. for us, this is about turning this into a much more productive asset uh, for you as a homeowner in terms of being able to get some remuneration from that asset when it's being used. And of course, for the utility companies and for those grid operators who are going to come to count on these types of, of assets more and more as more renewables work their way into the grid, you're going to see this stability issue play out. Exactly what happened in California is going to play out across the nation as these renewable requirements uh, pick up steam. Well, I think it's a great acquisition. I want to congratulate you. And it's been such a big winner for our, for our viewers. Thank you so much to Aaron Youngfeld. He's the chairman and CEO of Generac. Great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate right. it. Mad Money's back after the break. A month ago, we saw a dramatic pullback in the red-hot tech stocks, including the remote workplace. But in the last couple of weeks, well, they've come roaring back. Take Cloudflare, the cybersecurity outfit that's also a content delivery network, CDN. Their platform ensures that business-critical applications can operate reliably over the web. You know I've been a big fan of this one. The stock's up 141% since we first spoke to the CEO on February 18th. After a phenomenal rally this spring and summer, Cloudflare peaked at 45 in August, pulling back to 32 at its lows last month as people sold their biggest winners to make room for all that new wave of tech IPOs. But since then, the remote work names have made a major comeback, with Cloudflare rebounding to 42 bucks. It makes sense. We've got new COVID cases all over the place, including the Oval Office. So can this stock keep running? Not long ago, we spoke to Matthew Prince. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Cloudflare. Take a look. Mr. Prince, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having me on. You know, Matthew, I've been thinking with what happened with the president, 
that uh, just when you think that we're going to go back to work, just when you think that everything's under control and you don't have to worry about a, a content delivery network or people stealing information, you get a president where I have to worry about whether his calls and his Zooms are secure. We're not out of the woods here at all, are we? I don't think so. And I, I don't actually think COVID or not, uh, we would we would we would really have be changing how we're designing networks and how we're thinking about it. What what we've really seen over the course of the last nine months has been that people are just accelerating the plans that they already had in place. And so no matter what, you need a fast network, you need a reliable network, you need a secure network, you need an efficient network. And that's fundamentally what we're delivering at Cloudflare. Now, you know that you're a juggernaut and I've been saying you're a juggernaut, but you're also not afraid to take on the big boys. Uh, even taunt them. You've been taunting Google. You've been taunting Amazon to some degree. Uh, level of confidence must be very high that your network is better than theirs. We don't. I think that we don't think of ourselves as taunting them, but I do think that we look at some of the business models for some of the legacy technology companies that are out there that were very much built around how you mine data and then sell that data with targeted advertising. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that business model. But we do think that there's an opportunity for new companies to say, we actually have a much more straightforward business model. People pay us in order to use our network. And as a result, we can deliver services that are actually much more privacy friendly uh, and, and take on what is, I think, a much cleaner, much more future resistant uh, business model. And that means that how do we make sure that our customers can be in compliance with laws around the world? And how can we, for individual developers, make sure that they have the tools that they need without having to feed all of their data back to the giant Google ad machine? Well, okay. Uh, you uh, entered into the ad analytics space, and I think it's a great way to start your next decade. Congratulations. The, uh, Thank you. The testimonials, by the way, on your website are incredible. There isn't anyone I, I there. It's everyone I revere out there. So people know how great Cloudflare is. But talk to me about analytics, because, boy, see, to me, that seems crowded. The, the traditionally the analytics space um, for for the Web has been dominated by Google Analytics. Right. And the value proposition for them was how can we build a system that gave advertisers the ability to better target advertising online? And that's great if you're selling ads or buying ads. But if, on the other hand, you're just trying to figure out how people are using your data, there's increasingly a concern about privacy. And so what we realized was we had the resources to be able to offer a very rich and robust privacy-first analytics service. And the business case for this is, while we're providing this to people who are either Cloudflare customers or not Cloudflare customers, for those people who aren't already Cloudflare customers, they can learn just how great our products are and then adopt the rest of them. And so we think that this will be a real great user acquisition flow for our other products. So let's see, if I want privacy and I want surety, then I'm starting to think about what the president seems to be ridiculing on a daily basis, the election. Is it possible to keep the election private and secure? You know, Jim, this is, I, I know, a topic that you care a lot about. It's a topic that I care a lot about. Starting in 2016, when we saw where a lot of other technology companies, uh, tools that were really designed to do good things, were actually misused in order to influence the election, we realized we had to do something about it. And so we launched in 2016 the Athenian Project, which gives our services at no cost to local, state, and federal governments needing to protect their election infrastructure. 
And it's been incredibly rewarding to be able to talk with these state and local officials that are true patriots, uh, whether they're in blue states or red states or purple states. More than half of the U.S. states, we now have uh, people who are using the Athenian project in order to stay safe. We have a tiger team which is assembled internally that's on call 24-7, 365 to be able to help with these different uh, uh, security challenges that might be coming up over the weeks to come. And so far, we've been able to thwart a number of attacks, but we see everything is going very smoothly. Registrations are happening and, and we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to ensure that the election which is coming up will be free and fair and, and out, you know, prevented that cyber attacks will not be the lead story at the end of that day. Okay, that's good to know, because, yes, I care passionately. We don't want the country to be upended by this. One last question. Reuters reported on some internal discussions at Cloudflare with regards to its work for the Trump campaign. But also, we should note that you work for uh, pretty much everybody, U.S. president. You're not you're kind of ecumenical when it comes to U.S. presidential campaigns. We you know, we provide services for both of, of the campaigns. Again, we're, 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 not, we're not picking sides uh, here at all. And we brief uh, the campaigns as well as other government officials on what we're seeing in terms of cyber attacks. And we have seen cyber attacks that are targeting the campaigns, but part of what we think is important is delivering our services as inexpensively or in some cases free. And so what we did was we actually worked with the Federal Election Commission to make sure that we could give our services away for free while complying with the elections uh, rules and campaign finance rules. And what they came back and decided was cybersecurity was so important for the future of this country and for the future of democracy that they would let us and other great companies like Microsoft provide services to campaigns. And so we've been doing that for a number of different campaigns, including both the Trump and the Biden campaign. Well, that's terrific. You know, I, look, I have long been an admirer of your company. Uh, you're very different. You're not afraid to. It's not tilting at windmills. You're a serious competitor to a lot of the older guys who used to be the younger guys. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Matthew Prince, Chairman and CEO of Cloudflare, NET. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Okay, you see why I find this company so fascinating. They are in so many facets, but you've got to read the decks. It's not easy to understand. They have money's back into the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. The money's out. That's called rapid fire. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dexter, lightning round question for Dexter in California. Dexter. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. That's early, early Halloween. Early Halloween. What's up? Jim, I need your help. I need your help. I'm kind of. Well, you came to the right place. I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. Jim, prior to the pandemic, this company was hot. But because non essential medical diagnostic imaging companies. Uh, medical procedures have been postponed, and this company has sort of fallen out of bed. Yes. Now with the push towards reopening, this company's price action really has me puzzled. What's your opinion on Radnet? Well, you see, I, here's my issue. When they start opening things again, it's not going to bounce back immediately. Why? Because it's still scary. I mean, like, I'm not ripping my mask off on the balcony. Most people are scared to go. I had to have an MRI. Do you think I wanted to have an MRI? I asked them if they had Clorox MRI. They said, no, that'll, like, su- you'll, like, suffocate. No one wants to go to these things. So we're going to have to hold off. Let's go to John in Florida. John. Hi, Jim. It's been a while. It's John Kay in Dunedin, Florida. Hey, man, Dunedin. What's going on there, John? 
Yeah, good talking to you. Jim, uh, I'd like your insight on uh, Blink Charging, BLNK. Okay, uh, I think electrical vehicle charging stations are going to be a commodity. And, John, I don't want you to be a commodity. I just don't. I, I think that uh, I'd rather see in Generac, frankly. Uh, Generac, I think, is a better stock. Good, always good to talk to you. Can I go to Cooper in Tennessee? Cooper. Jimmy Chill. Booyah from Cooper, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a lifelong fan and read all your books. I want to hear your thoughts. Remember the Titans, my friend. What's up? I want to hear your thoughts on this three-headed monster in e-commerce, gaming, and online payments. The company C Limited. What are your thoughts? Yeah, boy, I'll tell you this. First of all, thank you for those kind comments. This thing is such a horse. I don't know. I don't know where to get involved in it, but you're right. I mean, remember, I have never had luck buying in Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong. North Korea, I've not had luck. So you are going to have to be, as much as I like everything you said, on your own on this one. That's it. I've got to say it. Singapore is not my cup of tea. Neither is Malaysia. I need to go to Tony in Nebraska, please. Tony. Hey, Jim Bob. How you doing? What's happening? Well, my stock is Barrick Gold. Ah, oh, well, like two thumbs up, way up. It's finally coming down. That's what we've been waiting for. So you buy half here. You hope it goes to 25. It probably won't. I think this is one of the great companies. Some of the other days, really, what do they have that's so special, Jim? I said, how about the best assets in the safest area with the best management? That's not enough for you that I don't know what is. Hey, we're not done. Let's go to Jose in Texas. Jose. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Crazy day today. It's Um, good. So I had a question on on a company that I'm having trouble uh, comparing other companies to. I don't want to group it with, like, Walgreens or CVS. It's a good RX. You know, well, the only way I can describe it is, I mean, you're going to have to end up, like, grouping it with Teladoc or Livongo. Um, you know, that's the merger there. Look, I happen to be a huge fan of Goodrox. I've been trying to figure it out for, uh, for Action Alerts, what I, you know, my Chapel Trust, and what price do you buy it? And the answer is, you know what, you got to wait, because this thing is way too hot. You may miss it, but that's okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Stick to stocks, Kramer. You know how many times I've seen that criticism on Twitter lately as I try to sort through the conflicting stories about what's really going on with the president and COVID? Guess what? I would like nothing more than to stick to stocks. I covered politics as a cub reporter, and I hated it. In a perfect world, the show would be about stocks all the time. But sometimes that's impossible because the market's hostage to what's happening in Washington now. There's an election in less than a month. The president's got COVID light, and he just torpedoed the stimulus negotiations. I find that tough to ignore. I'm looking at Twitter to find out the news. So since I'm not a doctor or a political expert, what I do is I lean on my network of CEOs and medical experts to figure out which stocks should work for you in this environment. When you've been at this as long as I have, either your network is good or you need to retire. My network is very good. I'm sticking around. I found this out the hard way, though. When I started out as a hedge fund manager in the late 80s, I didn't pay much attention to politics. I just followed stocks, followed the companies, the fundamentals. But over and over again, I'd be blindsided by something from Washington. Heck, in those days, I barely even focused on the Federal Reserve. I wanted to take my cue from Warren Buffett, just find high-quality companies and stick with them through thick and thin. The thing is, if I had stuck to Buffett's favorite stocks over time, American Express, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, my hedge fund would have been full. They were dead. Buffett can get away with it because he's a billionaire with a long-term time horizon. Uh, most investors don't have that luxury. At the end of the day, you ignore politics at your own peril. 
Think about everything I would have missed if I simply stuck to stocks this year. First, I would have failed miserably at spotting the COVID-19 story. I flew back to Miami the day of the Super Bowl, missed the game, because I wanted to warn you about the pandemic that was headed our way. A pandemic coming out of China that would not be stopped just by banning flights from China. It was going worldwide. I started ringing the COVID alarm bell early because I thought both the medical community and the White House were taking this virus too lightly. Those were not stock issues, but they helped us identify a ton of winners in the Kramer COVID index. Second, because I followed politics, I recognized that the original $2.2 trillion stimulus package would stave off a depression. When the Federal Reserve followed up by implicitly backstopping corporate bonds, I realized the vast swaths of the economy would come out of the pandemic just fine and recommended a whole new onslaught of stocks. Third, because I've been paying attention to Congress, I've warned you repeatedly that another stimulus bill is probably going to fail. If you listen to me, you might not have been surprised when President Trump announced that he's withdrawing from negotiations to after the election, which sent the averages tumbling today. Fourth, because I followed medicine, I knew that remdesivir was a loser for Gilead despite its initial hype. I told you to stay away from the stock. At the time, I knew Regeneron had a winning COVID cocktail. I pounded the table on it. Started recommending, by the way, Regeneron 15 years ago at 5. It's now 581. Fifth, energy. President Trump is wildly pro-fossil fuels, and that was precisely why I warned you to sell the entire industry from the oil producers to the pipelines, especially Exxon and Occidental. Why? Because when the White House loves, loves, loves oil, you're going to get an oil glut, and that's terrible for the industry. Paradoxically, the oil stocks do better when the government regulation prevents overproduction. So as oil goes up again, once again, and everyone says it's going to break out, sell the stocks. Finally, I told you to stick with FAANG, which, by the way, is my acronym that I created because Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google all do better in a pandemic. If, oh, by the way, I believed our government's assurances in the spring that we quickly beat this thing, I would have been a lot less aggressive about recommending these terrific stocks. But I have my network of medical experts, so I was confident that we'd be stuck with COVID. Still are, by the way. House antitrust measures against big tech today? Be careful selling these stocks. All but Apple could rally if the trust busters get their way. Apple does better with its service revenue. In short, if I'd stuck solely to stocks this year, I would have ended up giving you some terrible advice on the biggest teams of 2020. Peep Twitter f- haters. As much as I'd love to ignore politics and ignore nor medicine. Just look around. Politics and medicine are driving the market right now. You can try to pretend that's not the case, but denial, it's not a strategy. It's a river. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.